Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. What did one toilet say to the other? You look a little flushed. And my daughter told me this years ago when I came across it this week. I thought it was a dead joke, but this is an actual great joke. You ready? Ready? What's red and bad for your teeth? A brick. <laughs> Love that joke. It's one of my favorites. Do you ever feel like you don't know how to finish what you started? You know, New Year's resolution, it's, uh, a lot of people make New Year's resolution. In a 2016 study, 41% of Americans made New Year's resolutions. But by years in, only 9% of them had kept their New Year's resolutions. Uh, 95% of New Year's resolution goals are, are fitness-related. That's interesting to me that we all want to get in shape, and we all set these goals, and we don't know how to finish them. So what I would like to talk to you about is how to finish strong this year. How to finish strong. That's the name of this sermon series, Finishing Strong, starting with your end goal in mind. And what that may help is it may help you understand that what you don't need to do is change everything. What you need to do is change how you think. Don't change everything. Change how you think. And to do that, you start with a small, attainable, repeatable goal. Studies reveal that many people who have gastric bypass wind up regaining the weight even after going through the surgery. Are are y'all following me here? So changing a couple of things physically doesn't change your life for the rest of your life. So I want to talk to you in this sermon series about how to finish strong because you literally change the way you think on the front end. Uh, Determine your target. Now, if you say, I want to get in shape in one month, I want to lose 10 pounds in a month, you know what you're going to do the next month? You're going to gain 15. Because diets, D-I-E-T, diets, the first three letters are you die. (laughs) Right? Diets are horrible ideas. I don't know whoever told you a diet's a good idea, but diet's a horrible idea. Life change is a good idea. So instead of dieting, say, I'm going to work out three times a week so that when I'm old, I'll be able to pick up my grandkids. How about that? Or me, I have a written goal for my life. I'll just share it with you. I want to shoot a round of golf lower than my age. For that to happen, I have to stay in good shape all the way to the end of my life, right? So I need to keep my muscle training up. And that, it's a written goal, and my goal isn't I'm going to lose five pounds. My goal is when I'm 75, I'm going to be able to hit the ball 200 yards. Are, are you all following me? By changing your goals to a good finish, then you can do the minuscule things that it takes step by step now to get there. When I'm 80 years old, I want to walk and hold my wife's hand and look over at her and get a big smile without teeth and go, honey, let's gum this pretzel together. (laughs) And I want to be able to buy my grandkids ice cream without worrying about how much it costs. 
Are there things that you could change the direction of your life by quitting this, I'm going to change something for two days now and change something for years and years and years? So write down your target. Write it down. Literally write it down. Don't change 15 things. Set your target. Change one little thing. I will walk three days a week is much better than I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I, some of you don't even agree with that. I can't help it. You're wrong. <laughs> All right. So Habakkuk 2.2 2 says this. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. What did he say to do? Write it down. Write it down. Make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. Because until you know your end goal, you will never know when you're shooting towards the end goal. Hmm. For the revelation awaits appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. When God puts in your heart to change something for 20, 30, 40 years from now, when God puts in your heart to make a, a revelation of the end, he is directing you to make a change for a lifetime, not for a moment, and it won't prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. In other words, work through the times when you don't feel like doing it, and certainly will come and not delay. So, but, all right, let's make this really clear. If you don't know what you're aiming at long term, you're not going to ever get on the path to hit it. So one day my grandpa and I, we were out in the woods, and uh, we were down the bottoms, and we were hunting, and we were hunting squirrel, but I looked up, and, you know, we hadn't seen any squirrel all day, and my grandpa has old single shot, 22. He's about 75, 76, about 76 at that time, somewhere in that age. And anyway, um, we're out there hunting, and I look up in the top of a cottonwood tree, and there's a bird over there, and I said, Grandpa, I hear you're a great shot. Why don't you kill that bird? And, you know, the trees blowing like this. I'm sorry, some bird had to die for the sake of this story, but it is what it is. Anyway, the bird's in the top of the cottonwood tree, and the wind's blowing, and I'm talking a 60-foot cottonwood tree, and Grandpa's standing over here with his 22. He says, oh, yeah, okay, and he puts his gun up, and he's doing this. Pow! Bird fell out of the tree dead. Like, Grandpa, what in the world? How in the world did you kill that bird? How did, how did you do that? How did you do that? I mean, you were wobbling like crazy. It's blowing in the wind. How did you do it? And he said, well, you just wait until you wobble on it, and then you pull the trigger. <laughs> Can I talk to you about how to finish strong? If you know what you're aiming at, when you wobble on it, you can pull the trigger. But if you're just trying to change something for a couple of weeks, you don't know what you're aiming at, and you're going to get it wrong. So you always start with the end in mind. Now, the, what's driving this message is the prophet Daniel. You'll hear about this a lot this year, is that God's given me a word. The word is disciple, and it comes from this guy named Daniel. Daniel uh, we'll, we'll come back to this later, but Daniel was carried away from his homeland in Israel by the Babylonians when he was about 10, somewhere in the 10 to 13, 14 years of age. So a 10-year-old kid's taken away from home, taken away from his family, taken away from his God, taken away from his country, taken away from the temple, which they destroyed, taken away from, oh, when he got to Babylon, they changed his name, they tried to change his diet, they probably changed his sexuality by making him a eunuch. They changed everything about this guy, but yet when he is 70 years old, 
or sorry, when he's in his 80s. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God as he had done before. Something was planted in him before the age of 10, 11, 12 that made him last for a lifetime. And what I want for us is that no matter how the world attacks us financially or physically or emotionally or attacks your name and your identity or even your sexuality, no matter how the world is attacking you. I want you to be so strong in your faith that when you're 80 years old, you're still bowing your knee to Jesus and calling him Lord over all of the attacks of this world. I want a faith that finishes strong. So that being said, we're going to look at, let me give you our goal. This is our written goal. This is our written goal for this year, to raise up a Daniel generation of disciples. That's what I want. Now, we've got mission statements and all that kind of stuff, but I just want to tell you, I want to raise up a Daniel generation, some people who finish strong for the Lord, and some people who will endure anything. And by the way, you're still reading about Daniel to this day because of his faithfulness. By the way, what's the name of all those other people that weren't faithful? You don't know it. You want something that lasts? Let's do something that lasts. So in this sermon series, we're focusing on the goal of our lives so we can finish strong. So um, I want to talk to you today about a guy named Stephen. And I don't have a clock today, so y'all just... Uh, I, don't, I don't have a clock. <laughs> Buckle up and second service will come in in a few moments. Yeah, you can join us. All right, I'm going to try to do this fast. There are four movements in the story that shows us how Stephen finished strong. Uh, the first movement is we want to know who Stephen is. How did Stephen get? So we're going to tell the story of Stephen today. Um, Stephen was a, um, one of the first what's called deacons. What was happening was the early church had grown so much that the apostles weren't able to take care of people. It's like the church grew so much that the apostles, they couldn't keep up with all the people's needs. So some people were being overlooked. So what they did, the apostles said, hey, listen, it's not right for us to neglect preaching and teaching the word and praying. It's not right for us to neglect that so we can take care of taking care of the details of running this church business. So let's appoint some guys. So that's where Stephen comes in. Uh, verse uh, 3 of chapter 6, brothers and sisters, choose men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. I love that, that full of the Spirit and wisdom. Hmm. We will turn this responsibility over to them. That's taking care of people. In other words, they were going to be life group leaders whose job it was to make sure that everybody in their life group was taken care of. By the way, by the way, if you're going to be a life group leader, be a disciple of Jesus. Because I don't want life group leaders teaching people half-truth, uncommitted lifestyles. Are y'all following? We, we need some people that are all in, all in all the time. And that's you. If we're, if we're going to impact this world, it's not going to come from a pulpit. It's going to come from some people like Stephen that take their job seriously and do something with the power of the Holy Spirit planted in you. Because you can take care of people that I only see once every six months. You can do it. I can't. 
we'll turn this responsibility over to them. We'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. And the, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. So what do we know about Stephen from the get-go? He was full of faith and what? Now, Stephen wasn't limited to simply waiting on tables or being a deacon. The word deacon means um, uh, servant of tables. Diakonos is a table servant. So, but Stephen wasn't limited to that. Let me just say this. If you're faithful to wait on tables, it's amazing what God can do through you. In, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, this isn't on the screen, but this is one of my standard verses. 2 Timothy 2.2 2, 2 says, entrust to reliable people the work of the ministry. Entrust to reliable men and women the work of the ministry. What kind of people do you look for? Reliable. reliable. So if you can't be faithful to show up through essentials class, why would I trust? Uh, sorry. <laughs> now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. So what do we know about him now? He's full of grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. So some of you think, some, some of you think this, that when I start moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, all opposition fades away. Actually, it's exactly the opposite. When you start moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can expect more opposition. Yeah? He said this, opposition arose from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it's called. <laughs> That's funny to me. Synagogue of the freedmen. Yet we're going to find out in just a couple of minutes how much they were in bondage and wanted to keep everybody else in bondage. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Sicily and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So, when you start fighting against the kingdom of darkness, Expect the kingdom of darkness to fight back. And some of you, oh, the devil's just attacking me today. My laundry pile just gets bigger. That ain't the devil. That's your laziness. Those kids are needing a bath is not, uh, not the devil because every kid needs a bath, right? That's, that's the daily struggle. So listen, you, when the devil starts attacking you, you're going to know it. He's going to come against you in mind and spirit. He's going to come against you from the outside with attacks. Your job is to be reliable, to be faithful, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to manage your world well in such a way that Christ gets honor by the way you live your daily life. And when the devil attacks, God will provide the spirit and power to overcome the attacks of the enemy. Second of all, what is the accusation they made against him? This is, this is funny. I've read this passage for years and years. This last time through it, I was reading it. Of course, you've heard me say this before. I was reading in Greek, and that made me slow down and think. And I thought to myself, what's the accusation they're leveling against him? Let's look at it. Chapter 6, verse 11. When they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words, notice, against Moses and against God. And, th and then they're going to describe what these blasphemous words were. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen, brought him before the Sanhedrin, and they produced false witnesses. Notice these are liars about him. And they testified, this guy never stopped speaking, and here's the key word, against this holy place and against the law. He never stopped speaking against. By the way, Stephen was not speaking against them. Speaking was, Stephen was speaking in revelation over them. There's a difference. So we have heard him say, there are two accusations. 
Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, speaking of the temple, and he will change the customs Moses handed down to us. When I read this, I was like, well, isn't that what Jesus said? <laughs> Hold on. Luke 21, 6, as for what you see here, speaking of the temple, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another and every one of them will be thrown down. That sounds like that Jesus prophesied against the temple, right? So where, where, did they take the core of his message? Yeah, Jesus is more powerful than the temple. The temple's going to be removed. Did they? Yes. But we'll talk about, but I just want you to see that they heard his message. They just heard it through the wrong filter. All right? You, you got to see this, Okay. He was saying the words of Jesus. Jesus is going to, the temple is going to be restored, uh, destroyed, is what he was saying. You know what else he was saying about the laws of Moses? He was probably quoting Jesus, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. They're done with, they're completed. They're in, the word teleos there means to complete them. So he was teaching this temple is going to be destroyed and Jesus is greater than the law that you've been passed on. Now, what they heard, what they heard was Jesus and his message of Stephen is against the temple and against the law. But it's not. It's greater than the temple and the law. Man, I was reading this and I got to thinking to myself, isn't this how the church is being perceived in our culture right now? Right now, we're called haters. You know why we're called haters? Because greed, we call it out. Pride, we call it out. Sexual immorality, we call it out. You're a hater. No, I'm not a hater because I love the greedy, and I love the proud, and I love the sexually immoral. But their behaviors are still wrong. Hold on, hold on. Anybody ever feel like a hypocrite telling somebody else they, you need to quit sinning when you know your own sin? Anybody ever feel that way other than me? Come on, I feel that way all the time. How dare I tell you your sin when I'm sinful too? Take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly. Listen, I understand all that. Listen, I understand we're all sinful. I understand everybody in this place, if I were to go through your checkbook, go through your calendar, I were to go through your, what you did this past week in detail with you, are y'all following me? There's something you've done wrong. There's something you've done that's destructive to you and generations that follow after you. That's called sin. Now, just because you've done wrong, it doesn't mean that we can't call this a sin. If this is sin, this is sin whether you commit it or I commit it or anybody else commits it. Are y'all following me? What Stephen said was he was telling the truth about the temple and the truth about the law of Moses, and they heard a message of freedom as a message of hate. <clears throat> I don't think you heard that those people heard the message of freedom as a message of hate. <clears throat> you know what God wants for us? He wants us to live without sin. 
but you're going to goof up. That's why Jesus only paid part. No, that's not what the song says. Jesus paid a tenth. No. Jesus paid how much? Come on. All. All of my sins, all of your sins, all of our sins. But you know what we don't do? Is we don't excuse the sin because we're all sinners. The world's going to call you a hater if you take a stand for what's right. But let me, let me just say this. We got a quote. I, I read this quote. I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was good enough to actually pass on to you. Unconditional love doesn't mean unconditional approval. I call what I do a sin. I call what you do a sin. And that puts us both in need of God's grace. But if I say this behavior is no longer sin, do you know what that means? I then have become God determining what is right or wrong. And I don't, I don't know enough to be God. Unconditional love doesn't mean unconditional approval. All right, let's just say, I, I don't know. Let's just say, Pastor Jesse, I'll pick on you. Just cut. Yeah, you're not going to like this illustration. <laughs> Rachel definitely ain't going to like it. But let's say Pastor Jesse, because he wouldn't do this. Let's say Pastor Jesse has an affair. He finds some young girl, and he's running around town playing whatever with this other girl. And Rachel finds out, and she comes in and says, Jesse is cheating on me. We're not going to say, well, that's, that's all right. You know, you've got to love him, so it's okay. Just let it go. We're not going to say that, are we? No? You shouldn't say that because that's unhealthy. What we're going to say is, hey, let's have some fried Jesse for dinner tonight. We're going to bring him in and roast him over the fire, right? He supports that. That would be an appropriate reaction. So unconditional love, we can love him, but we do not approve of the behavior. If God does not approve of the behavior, his church cannot approve of the behavior. I don't care if the world says I was born this way or we can't determine what sex we were or gender we were or we approve of greed corporately. I don't care. The church cannot stand for what God stands against. It's time for the church to reclaim the full gospel, regardless of the cost. We need to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We need to speak the truth, and we need to stand firm in the face of opposition. All right, I've got a page and a half of notes i got to do in three minutes. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. What was Stephen's response? The high priest asked if the accusation was true. So what Stephen did was he preached a sermon. Stephen then... And the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? He, to this, he replied, brothers and sisters, listen to me. And then in verses 3 through 34, he establishes a fully Jewish platform from which to make these next statements in answer to, you're against the temple, you're against the law of Moses. Now notice what he does, Acts 7, 35. 
This same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He sent them to be, uh, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself, though the angel who appeared to them, or through the angel who appeared to them in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. So what's he pointing them to? He is pointing them to the Messiah who is coming, that is Jesus. And then immediately following that, he starts talking about the accusations against him. And the first one is regarding the law. Now he, speaking of Moses, was in the assembly of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received the living words to pass on to us. That's the, word, the law. He received this law to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to what? They refused to obey him, and they rejected him, and their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. So you're, pre they're, you're accusing Stephen of preaching against the law, and he's saying, why? You don't obey it. Come on, that's some pretty good preaching right there. Okay. All right, now what does he do? Regarding the temple, this is what he said. He said, our ancestors had the tabernacle and the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God had directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land, speaking of the tabernacle or God's presence, or eventually what would be the Ark of the Covenant, which would be the temple. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place, speaking of the temple, for the God of Jacob. So here's what he said. It was Solomon who built a house for him. However, however, the Most High doesn't live in houses made by human hands. That he's quoting right now, quoting the Bible, quoting these words that they consider to be authoritative. He said, oh, you're concerned about the temple? God doesn't even live in your temple. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? Come on, God owns the heavens and you're going to build a little place to put them? How stupid is that? And, and understand that the Israelites knew that. They used the temple not as a place to contain God, but a place where they could connect with God. Total different approach. And the prophet says, uh, let me see, um, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So Stephen makes it clear then, because he's just told them, he said, hey, listen, I'm not preaching against the temple. Even our own prophets have said it. Everybody said, God doesn't live here. God's bigger than that. And I'm not preaching against the law any more than you because you don't obey it either. So he just attacks their attacks. <laughs> pretty good, huh? It's pretty smart. I bet you never saw it before, because I never saw it before this time through. And I'm breaking out my commentaries going, wow, this is good. I hope you got that. Those, the, all of chapter 6 and 7 is not a waste. It's there for a reason. It's there for a reason, all right? Then we come to 751. What does Stephen say? You stiff-necked people. <laughs> I wonder why he got in trouble with these folks. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Ooh. You may be circumcised, you know, peritemo. We may cut around that, but you know what? Your hearts and your ears, they, they're still all covered up. You're not open to God. He said, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. There was, was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? You even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law 
that was given through the angels, but you haven't obeyed it. Ooh, that's tough. All right. So what happened? Of course they said, hey, let's throw a party and let's invite Stephen home. Let's have dinner together. No? Let's let Stephen preach to everybody. No, what did they do? They killed him. It goes like this, 754. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Woo, boy, when he said that, you can just imagine. Jesus at the right hand of God. Mm-mm-mm. So what did they do? At this, they covered their ears. They yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed them, dragged them out of the city, and began to stone them. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And I just want you to know that's in your passage for a reason, because the Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. And I want you to know that Stephen had a purpose, not just to wait tables, not just to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, but his purpose of his death is what released the power of God upon the one that would change the world and write half of our New Testament. Without Stephen's death, there would be no Saul into Paul. And some of you, your whole purpose in life may be to be put in a position to sacrifice for the behalf of someone that will be raised up for next generations. I have had to accept that that may be my purpose because I'm praying that God would raise up the next John Wesley out of this church. One of your kids. And if we got to suffer, we got to lose our jobs because we take a stand for faith. We've got to go through some tough stuff to pass on faith to them. It's worth it. Because obedience is what is demanded by God, not success. I could tell you stories, but I won't. So what happened? Here's what Stephen did that made such an impact on Saul. While he was dying, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 60, he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this in against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Is there somebody in the room that you're in good enough shape that I can mess with you and it's not going to kill you? Uh, anybody? Anybody you're in good enough shape? You'd volunteer that I can mess with you a little bit physically and it won't kill you. Come on. I need vol- Come on up. Come on. Come on right here. Come on, Benjamin. You're physically in good enough shape. The last time I did this, the guy passed out my arms. I'm not kidding. We'll have to see that, I guess. Yeah, all right. So what did he do? He said, Lord, he prayed this prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. What, what do you call that when, when somebody's hurting you? Will you do what? You forgive them, right? Yeah. Why did he do this? Because he's following Jesus' example. Luke chapter 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. While he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And I want to read you one more. If you do not forgive those when they sin against you, God won't forgive you. There's a great example that we have an opportunity to show in our culture. Finishing strong means that you forgive those who harm you. So I've got a guy here, and uh, Benjamin's stronger than me, and uh, so I'm going to take him by surprise. The Greek word for forgive is othomy. Othomy. So I've got him in a rear naked chokehold here. 
And by the way, I've got you locked in. Even if you get me, I, all I have to do right now is just, can you feel it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I start doing that and I start really going at you, what do you want me to do? Get off of me. Get off of you? Yeah. All right. Get off of you. Yeah. That's what you want. Right. Especially if I crank down. If I crank down, what do you want? What do you want? Get off of me. Get off of me. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. When you live in unforgiveness, you're choking the life out of your relationships with the person that you hold unforgiveness to. But you ready for this? You're also choking yourself, but we'll come back to that. When you're choking the life out of that relationship, all they want you to do is to get off of me. That's a Greek word, off of me. A-F-I-M-I, -I, off of me. When I read that first time, I was like, wow, it makes such good sense. If you're holding unforgiveness to somebody, all they want you to do is just get off of me. Just, just let go. Let go. Now, now, I'm not saying you trust people who have sinned against you. But I am saying that as long as you're in the chokehold, you know who's really in the chokehold? You are. Because the more you crank down on them, the more you're cranking down on you because Jesus said, if you don't forgive their sins against you, God can't forgive you your sins against him. And what did Stephen do? While he was at the point of death, on the ground, and his head and body being pelted with stones. He said, Father, forgive them. They're so stupid, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't even understand who you are. Forgive them. And one of the keys to finishing strong in this life is that you have to let go of the unforgiveness that you hold towards other people. You have to let it go. You have to say, God, I trust you as judge because you know the whys I don't know. There, I wanted to end this way, talk about this specifically. Because there are people in this room, your entire life is in bondage because you're still holding unforgiveness towards people and things that have happened in years gone by. And you can't finish strong because you won't let it go. All that means is this. God, I entrust you to judge. But as for me, I'm off of them. My dad... My dad couldn't come back and watch my soccer games if he needed to. My dad couldn't take those words back even if he wanted to. My mom couldn't change what she said to me when I was a little kid even if she wanted to. That kid in school that did that couldn't undo it. That spouse that cheated couldn't undo it even if they wanted to. They couldn't. So my job 
is to forgive and to get off of them and trust God to take care of it. And when you live a life like that, the souls of this world are going to watch and they're going to say, wow, what is this power? What is this power? And I, I want to say one more thing to you. Unforgiveness is you drinking poison and wishing they were dead. Unforgiveness will poison your soul. Because Jesus paid it all. Man's going to come. We're going to celebrate communion together. Because Jesus paid it all. I want to tell you three things we need to do if we're going to finish strong. If you need communion elements and you don't have them, I see Doug walking around. Three lessons from Stephen on how to finish strong. Number one, stay full of the Holy Spirit. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit because we can't do it all by ourselves. And even if you haven't fasted and prayed with me up to this point, would you take the next 14 days and fast and pray with me? Give up some kind of food, something you put in your mouth. Give it up through the 22nd of January and pray for God's power to be revealed in you. Second thing is, don't abandon the truth no matter what it costs you. Even if you're attacked for it, I cannot approve of what God does not approve. I don't care how condemned I am. I'm not forgiving my sin, but I'm entrusting it to God, so I'm going to do the same with you. I can't say your sin isn't sin, but I'm going to trust that God is gracious enough to cover you as well. And thirdly of all, forgive those who attack you. Forgive those who do you wrong. Would you bow your heads with me real quick? I'd like to ask a question. Are you struggling with unforgiveness today? You got something going on. You, you're just struggling with unforgiveness. The Holy Spirit's been talking to you and saying, you need to, you need to get off of them. You need, to, you need to forgive. You need to let it go. doesn't mean you all of a sudden trust those who do you wrong. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is granted. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is granted. I forgive you. I do not hold you accountable, and I ask God to be merciful to you. I forgive you. I let go of it. But if you stole money from me, I'm not going to be loaning you another hundred bucks. You got it? Forgiveness is granted. Trust is earned. Some of you are in this room. You have never forgiven those that have done you wrong. And today, God's talking to you that you need to forgive. There's somebody you need to forgive. There's a situation you need to forgive. God's talking to you. I'm looking around this room. There are a couple of you God's really dealing with, and you know it. Would you, as an act of faith and as an act of forgiveness, lift your hand and say, I forgive. You may not even mean it fully, but you want to mean it. I forgive. Yes, around this room. Father God, right now, come through and sweep up all of this unforgiveness and take it away and present it before your altar so that every person that lifted their hand would find now the forgiveness they have been withholding. 
they would find the forgiveness they have been withholding. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Second question I want to ask you, if you're in this room and you've never given your heart to Christ and you've never asked him to forgive you, listen, Jesus Christ came so that you could be free from the rules and the regulations and the worship restrictions. He came so you could be free. If you hear his message as anything other than freedom, you're not listening right. Jesus came to offer you freedom. If you're in this room today and you want that freedom of Jesus and you want to receive him as Lord of your life right now, would you lift your hand? I'd like to pray with you right now. You need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Yes. There are others? Yes. Father, we pray right now that in the name of Jesus, those who have confessed you as the Lord in that moment and asked for your forgiveness, that it would be granted and that your power would fill their lives and restore, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We have the communion elements before us here. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he looked up to heaven and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus suffered for you. He paid every sin for you. He said, do this whenever you eat it, remembering me. This doesn't purchase you salvation. It is a recognition of what Jesus did. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus in the flesh and thank you, Jesus, for praying that prayer, nevertheless not what I will, but what you will, Father, and for praying that prayer, Father, forgive them, because we know from the cross as your body was broken, forgiveness was granted to us, and we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's break and partake. After supper, Jesus took the cup. And after he had given thanks for the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This cup is a reminder that Jesus is coming back. And that when he comes back, he is Lord and he wins. So Jesus, thank you that we have a new covenant, a covenant of blessing, covenant of hope, covenant of the future. And as we drink this juice, it is a reminder that grapes were, were crushed and the juice spilled out so that we could have a source of nourishment and encouragement. So also your body was crushed and your blood was spilled out so that we could have spiritual nourishment and encouragement. And as we drink of this cup, we do proclaim your forgiveness, your blessing, your cleansing. And we declare Maranatha. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's partake.